Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, November 16th. Let's address the obvious at the top. No intro song to start today's podcast. Why is that the case? Well, it's because our super producer, Daniel Westoff, is currently on the road. He is driving down to Florida to spend the holidays with his family. Of course, why driving, not flying? I'm glad you asked. It's because he's got to bring our dog, Quavo, alongside of him. He will be unavailable to produce the next two days. That, though, is not an excuse. We have to have a podcast for all of you listeners. It's one of the final weeks of the 2023 season. It's the ATP Tour Finals. We also didn't have any shows for you all last week. Thus, we will continue to have episodes sans our super producer, Daniel Westoff. I will do my best to catch myself before I cough, sneeze into the microphone. Nevertheless, as we go along in the podcast, if one or two of those sneak in, please do keep in mind, I'm still getting over COVID. And again, doing my best to ensure we have a show for all of you listeners, even if we don't have the fantastic production capabilities of our super producer, Daniel Westoff. We did have fantastic production of tennis on day five of the ATP Tour Finals. And of course, that is going to be the focus of today's show. It Finished with a bang. Yannick Sinner, 3-0 in group play. Another feather in the cap in what has been just a spectacular finish to the 22-year-old season. This time, he grinds out a three-set win over Holgaruna. Not only does he clinch his spot in the semifinals, it's his first career victory over Holgaruna. You imagine those two going to go head-to-head once or twice in their career moving forward. And again, to see how Sinner did it in set number three. You could tell physically he wasn't 100% to end that match yet. Again, the power he can produce from the baseline, the way he can just overwhelm you in a moment's notice. Yannick Sinner did Yannick Sinner things and that they're becoming so routine is a story within itself. So we'll start by recapping that match. Then we'll get to Novak Djokovic, who grinds out, yes, grinds out a three-set win over a very much in-form Hoopie Hurkats. And again, would have loved to see Hoobie get cracks at both Sinner, Runa in group play as well in these particular conditions, a little quicker, a little lower bouncing. Of course, we're on indoor hard courts with his serve. How dominant, decisive he is behind that serve. How well he imposes his will into every match that he plays. Certainly shades of that throughout the course of the first two sets against Novak, but Novak did Novak things to pull away in the third, and again with the Runa loss, Djokovic ultimately advancing to the semifinals, which is where he wants to be because, you know, again, if there are four men left and one of them is Novak Djokovic, he's the favorite, regardless of the circumstances. So we'll break down how he secured that spot in the semifinals, his three-set win over Hoopy Hercots. And then I do want to talk a little ATP Challenger action. There are three events you have to keep your eyes on this week, particularly I want to bring the attention to you Crack Racket fans, as I know you, like me, are fans not just of 
the highest levels of the pro action. But you're fans of those players with ties to college tennis. You're fans of those young players currently on the rise within the sport. A lot of them are still competing here to end the season as they jockey for rankings positions, try to either make top 100 debuts, qualify for that USTA wild card into the Australian Open main draw, qualify themselves into qualifying at the year's opening slam, which means, of course, you're headed to Australia to start the year. You've got to get the travel plans accordingly, book that flight before it gets too expensive. There are some players who are on the rise. They're young. They fit all the profiles, again, of things we like to keep our eyes out for here at Crack Racket. So I do want to offer you all an update on those things after we talk through Day 5's ATP Tour final singles results. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners and, of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. I'll ask, as always, here at the start as well, like, rate, subscribe, review the show. Share it with your friends. Subscribe to the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast feed as well. Make sure you hit our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. We're going to have a lot of college tennis, not just coverage, but broadcasts of the action throughout the course of the 2024 season. And right now, again, six top 100 women singles players, 14 top 100 men singles players, 39 top 100 doubles players, 15 top 100 women's doubles players as well. It's good times in the college tennis ranks, particularly as that college tennis translates to the pros. And you can learn who the next stars might be by following along with our coverage of the 2024 season. Be on the lookout for a lot of that over the next six months on both our Crack Rackets YouTube channel as well as the Great Shot podcast feed. That said, today the focus is pro tennis. So let's talk about the ATP Tour finals and let's start with Yannick Sinner and Holger Runa. And I do want to do a quick nightcap. Recap's the wrong word because we'll save the recap for the offseason. But just a quick final th- parting thoughts. That's the best way of phrasing it on Holger Runa as his 2023 season does officially come to a close. Of course, before we do that, though, 6-2, Yannick Sinner advances over Runa. The aggression Sinner came out with out of the gates. It just overwhelmed Holger Runa, and Holger clearly had a game plan. I'm going to come out aggressive. I'm going to try and take the ball off Yannick's rack, and I'm going to try and get him stretched into the outer third. I'm going to try and make Yannick Sinner reactive, not proactive. That was the theme more than anything else. There were some errors looped in that earned Yannick an early break lead, and from there, again, Yannick was just so good behind his serve in set number one. Yes, he only made 50% of his first serves, but he only dropped four points on serve in the set. He didn't face a break point against a Holger Runa, who, again, mechanically puts a lot of returns in play. Very easy for him to absorb, redirect plays, uh, pace. Obviously, he rocks the short shorts, but you see his legs, how strong he is. Runa is one of the fittest players we have in terms of quickness, you know, speed. Not just quickness, but not just first step speed, but again, persistent speed and tracking down balls in and out of corners, fluidity in and out of those corners as well. Holger Runa really impressed me. I actually come out of this match more impressed by Holger Runa's performance than I did for Yannick Sinner, who of course ultimately won the match. But I've seen Yannick perform this well or better multiple times over not just the course of his career, but in particular over the course of the last few weeks. But to see Holger's level was extraordinary because Sinner blitzed him in set number one, and the crowd was behind Sinner. This turn crowd in Italy has been outstanding. It's one of those rare moments where you feel like a player is playing a home match, a home environment. I know perhaps 
No, that's not American-centric. That applies to other sports as well. When, you know, Man U or Real Madrid or Barcelona or obviously University of Michigan football, Ohio State football, the Dallas Cowboys, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm trying to think of really good home crowds. I was going to go basketball on you all, but maybe we'll get too nerdy there. But, like, in Oklahoma City, Thunder crowd, because what else are they really doing? They're going to go support their Thunder, and when the Thunder are good, that crowd is rocking. Sinner has that sort of crowd, that partisan, we're rooting for Yannick no matter what the other guy is doing. Even if that other guy is Novak freaking Djokovic, we are all in on Yannick Sinner. And it's rare that you see partisan crowds in tennis where they're unequivocally rooting for the guy who's from that home country. Especially, you know, again, you see partisan crowds maybe towards Djokovic, towards Nadal, towards Serena, not towards other players. And this turn crowd is partisan for Sinner. And again, he just, with that energy, his aggression, it overwhelmed Runa in set number one. But again, it was Sinner who blinked down the home stretch of set number two, not Holger Runa. Set number two, extraordinarily steady. Holger Runa fighting off the one break point that he faced. Sinner ultimately blinking, playing a rough service game at 5-6 in that second set. Just a couple of early errors in the game. You know, Runa connecting on a return to ultimately put some final pressure on Sinner and, you know, again, securing that second set. But what was so impressive for me is, again, Holger Runa... He may only be 20 years old. He's got every tool in the toolbox available for him. And yes, at times, that forehand, when pressured by pace, can get a little bit tentative. I thought in particular in the game he got broken for all in the third set. That forehand got very tentative. And, you know, Yannick Sinner was looking at any excuse to snap off a ball and go you know, 100% pace and try and end a rally early because you could tell physically his lower back was just a little bit aching him down the home stretch of that match. Sinner did get, uh, Runa, excuse me, got a little bit tentative. He floated a few forehands. Sinner capitalized. That's how he was able to separate down the home stretch of the third. But, you know, again, from start of the second to four all in the third, man, Runa's ability to move forward behind the forehand, his ability to absorb pace on the backhand wing, his ability to, again, fluidity in and out of corners, his willingness to move forward and continue to pressure an ailing center and continue to get him stretched and bending in uncomfortable ways, particularly on that backhand wing in the corner. Holger played a really sound match. Again, shaky service game at 4-all, but credit to Yannick Sinner, who connected on a couple of second-serve returns. And look, when Sinner connects, again, his pace can just overwhelm you. Yes, Runa blinked a bit, but Sinner closed out the match, and then some really good plus-one aggression in that 5-4 service game to end things on his terms. And look, we'll get to talk more Sinner as he qualifies for the semifinals. 3-0, and wins over Djokovic, Tsitsipas, and Runa here at this Tour finals. He's now 59 and 14 overall, one win away from the 60 win threshold. And again, here's the list of guys who have 60 wins this season Medvedev, Alcaraz. That's the list. Yannick Sinner, one win away at age 22 from joining that list. Of course, with this victory now, he moves to what a win percentage of 82% overall on the year. Ridiculous for a guy his age. Once you're in the 80% threshold, now you're starting to talk about guys who have finished seasons world number one maybe won one slam or an Edberg Courier type season. Maybe they sneak in two. No center didn't sneak in a slam, but he snuck in a lot of different things. And look, he made the final four of the best state 
and I think that is where Sinner has belonged. I've said it for the past couple of weeks. There's been a very clear top four that's emerged. Djokovic, Alcaraz, Medvedev, and yes, despite that U.S. Open loss to Zverev, Yannick Sinner belongs in that group as well. He's proven it. I said this on Tuesday. Since the end of the U.S. Open, he's beaten Medvedev twice, Alcaraz, Djokovic, Rublev, Tsitsipas, and an inform Holgaruna. We get to see him roll on. He'll play either Medvedev, Zverev, or Alcaraz in the semifinal match. And no matter what that matchup is, certainly it's going to be spicy. Quick final thoughts on the Holgaruna season. Runa finishing 44-24, and 24, so wins about two-thirds of his matches. Obviously had the extended losing streak following that French Open where he loses, uh, uh, where he loses, excuse me, following the French Open, no, following Wimbledon. He loses quarterfinals Wimbledon to Alcaraz, including that loss. He lost eight of his next nine matches, including that Wimbledon loss. Obviously a tough stretch for Holgaruna, but with the level we saw from him to finish the season, semifinals Basel, quarters Paris, gets a win in turn, pushes Djokovic, pushes Sinner to three sets. Obviously, you compound that with the Rome-Monte Carlo Masters finals, round of 16 in Australia, quarterfinals, Roland Garros, Wimbledon. I mean, he made the final eight field. That speaks to this fact. He was one of the 10 best players of the 2023 season. He's going to finish the year at number eight in the rankings. And I think if you would have given Holgaruna truth serum at the start of the season, even to give him truth season now, hey, you're going to finish the year top 10. That's a successful season, right? Yes, the path to getting there, the loss of eight of nine, he cleans that up. Maybe it's a top five even season with, again, how good he was through the first half and how consistent he was at every non-U.S. Open slam. But at 20 years old, Holgaruna was very clearly one of the 10 best players in the year. And yeah, he finishes, I think, 5-9 and nine overall against top 10 players this year, an exact reverse of the 9-5 and five finish he had last season. But five top 10 wins, still a top 15 number. Again, two slam quarterfinals, one of them on grass for the first time, finishes his season very strongly on the indoor hard courts where he had a ton of points to defend and did a pretty good job of salvaging his positioning. Obviously, middle of the next season next year, post-Wimbledon, threw the U.S. Open wide open for him, but he'll have a lot of points to defend to start the season. Well, really, the clay court season will be a huge moment for him still, how can you give this season anything lower than an A-? minus? If you say you lose 8 out of 9, and it feels like it really was physically related because, boy, he looks physically sound again, and clearly mentally he is in the fight in every match, even when the entire crowd is against him, at least an A- minus for Holgaruna. It will require further examination, but a 20-year-old finishes top 10. That doesn't happen every year. That's an outstanding season for Holgaruna. Knocked out here by Yannick Sinner, but again despite the loss of 8 of 9. I think you have to look at this year's unequivocally a positive step forward for the young Dane. Of course, that Runa loss also ensured that Novak Djokovic will advance to the Final Four at another Tour Finals. And look, we'll get into the Djokovic three-cent win over Hercots in a second. It is worth noting, Runa wins that match over Sinner, which was a very feasible thing given Sinner's physical condition and it was four all in the freaking third set. Runa was playing really well. His win over Tsitsipas, which is Tsitsipas retires early in the first set, was credited as a straight set victory for Holger. He wins the match over Sinner. Now he and Djokovic are both two and one. Sinner's two and one. Sinner got 
what the straight set win, I want to say, early in the tournament over Novak Djokovic. No, excuse me, it was 7-6 in the third. It wasn't straight set. So he'd have, no, he Sinner got the three set win over Djokovic, the straight set win over Tsitsipas. That's what it was. Plus, we would have said a hypothetical three-set loss to Runa. Djokovic, three-set loss to Sinner. Uh, sh- straight set win over... No, three sets over Hercots, three sets over Runa. Because Runa and Sinner both had those straight set wins, Sinner's, again, over Tsitsipas. Runa's would have been credited over Tsitsipas as well. They would have advanced over Novak. That would have been crazy. That's something to address moving forward. If you get a withdrawal like that, don't count it as a full win. Count it, or You can count it as a win, but don't count the two sets. I think that is clearly something we have learned coming off of this scenario. Just a small adjustment to make moving forward. And again, we can't edit out and make that description more clear because we don't have access to Westhoff today. Nevertheless, Djokovic ultimately threw three-set win over Hoopy Hercots. Again, this tells me we'll talk about Djokovic more as the weekend progresses and see, we see him continue to be tested, but this result tells me more about Hoopy than it does about Novak. It tells me the level we saw from Hoopy down the home stretch of the season, it was real. And from Wimbledon through the end of the year, Hoopy goes twenty three and eight overall. Twenty three and eight. You know uh, twenty three and nine, excuse me, right? Because he loses that Basel final uh to Felix Ogier Aliasim, and unfortunately that Basel final is just not yet registered in tennis abstract, but 23-9 and overall, fine. He won over 70% of his matches down the final third of the season. Round of 16, Wimbledon lost to Djokovic. Yes, the second round lost to Draper, U.S. Open concerning, but wins the Shanghai Masters, beating Rublev, beating Accorda. You know, gets a wins over Umber in Basel. Gets wins over RBA and Corda against Rundelo in Paris. And obviously the two three-set mats, matches against Alcaraz in Canada and Cincy where he beats Tsitsipas, beats Chorich in those events. You know, now that I'm saying some of those wins out loud, they weren't exceptional, exceptional. But maybe we should go by who the losses were to. Lost twice to Alcaraz. Lost twice to Djokovic, lost once to Felix, Draper, Moe, Jungjijen, Grigor. Okay, still, 23-9, and nine, like, and wins a Masters title during that stretch. Makes two Masters, makes, you know, wins a Masters title, Masters semifinal in Cincy, Masters quarterfinal in Paris. We've said all year. After four, it gets a little thin. If you want to put Zverev and Rublev 5-6 respectively, fine. But still thins out after that. Runa, again, did lose eight out of nine matches. And yes, Tsitsipas made the slam final in Australia. But what did he do after that? Anything he's going to remember looking back at his career? Probably not, other than if this Bedosa relationship lasts long term. It's a really strong finish for Hubi Hurkat. Somehow, again, scraps out ninth and... Really fun three-set match with Djokovic. The losses, by the way, three-set loss to Djokovic, three-set loss to Dimitrov, 7-6 in the third loss to Zheng Zhizhen, 6-3 in the third loss to Alcaraz, 7-6 in the third loss to Alcaraz, 6-4, four-set loss to Djokovic at Wimbledon, and then Draper loss plus a Mo loss in straight sets. I think we've seen this level, and again, against Novak, it was what he did so well. Obviously, asserts himself with the first serve. That's going to be the foundation of any success that Hoopy has, and today he won 85% of his first serve points. Now, he only made 58% of those first serves, 
and that was the issue for him, particularly down the home stretch in the third. But when he's landing the first serve, he's just hitting his forehand more authoritatively. He says, you know what, I'd rather miss going big than getting into these little tentative floating forehands that we see so frequently from Hoobie when he's struggling off of that wing. No, he hit it so decisively down the season's home stretch. And again, with his size, with his strength, with how he holds his ground, redirects off that wing, uses it as a weapon to a vessel to move forward behind. He just puts a lot of pressure on you. And that, you know, again, he was the guy who broke first in this matchup against Novak Djokovic. Clean sheet in set number one for both servers. Uh, Djokovic ultimately pulling away with a near-perfect tiebreaker 7-1. But Hubi gets the first break in set two, holds on to his serve from there. Then Djokovic figured some things out, lands a couple of backhand passes. All of a sudden, he's up an early break. All of a sudden, it's a 6-1 third set. That's what Novak does. I think I've been pretty profusely praising. I've been pretty profuse. I've been pretty repetitive in my praise of Djokovic of late, what he's accomplished at age 36. I did a whole rant on this not that long ago. It's his 15th top 10 win of the season, most of any players. 15-4 and against the top 10. 40-11. and He's won 78% of his matches against top 10 opponents since the start of 2021. 255 and 111 for his career. He's won 70% of his matches against just top 10 opponents. Free. Another stat in the many to marvel at coming off of the career, or throughout the career, excuse me, because it's still going, of Novak Djokovic. But we'll talk more tactics with Novak, because again, we're going to see him a few more times throughout the course, or at least one more time, I should say, uh, over the course of the weekend. And then I think we're going to see him play Davis Cup this year as well. So we got more Djokovic analysis in the future. We'll move on for now. Again, Djokovic, Sinner, advancing out of the group. They will either face, they will face collectively two of Medvedev, Alcaraz, and Zverev. And again, tomorrow, Zverev going to play Rublev. Rublev's had his number this year. Zverev had his number throughout the course of their career. Prior to that, then we get the Medvedev-Alcaraz rematch. Medvedev, of course, beating Alcaraz in what was a fantastic performance in the U.S. Open semifinals. Alcaraz needs to win to advance. If he loses, I believe it's Zverev and Medvedev advancing because Medvedev would be 3-0, and and then no matter what happens for... Well, I guess if Zverev loses and Rublev wins plus Alcaraz loses, then three players are 1-2, and two. so then things do get funky. So, hey, Rublev's still alive! Can talk himself into it after two disappointing opening matches. Still, we will recap those matches for all of you listeners tomorrow. In the meantime, let's move over to some things happening at the challenger level. Got to start, of course, in Champaign. A lot of guys with college ties going to be competing in the quarterfinals on Friday. The headline matchup for me, battle of two 20 or younger Americans. How about... Alex Mickelson, he's a name you're going to be more familiar with. Of course, Alex Mickelson in the midst of another eight-match win streak. The last one came when he won the Chicago Challenger in July, then made the Newport Final in the immediate event the week after. Of course, last week, he wins the Knoxville Challenger. This week, he's into the quarters in Champaign. The big-serving righty, a straight-set win over Sebastian Fanislow. Also got a win over Tomich in straights uh, to advance to the quarterfinals. He's now 59-23 and overall in the year. 19, turned 19 years old. Ooh, I'm going to remember Alex Mickelson's birthday the rest of the li- my life. It's the same as my mother's, but... Alex Mickelson now into his 13th quarterfinal. 13th quarterfinal of the season. Eighth at the challenger level. Kid turned 19 years old at the end of August. 
13 quarterfinals total, 8 at the challenger level. He's 98 right now in the live rankings. That's a career high. He's the leader in the USTA Australian Open Wild Card Challenge where, again, he wins Knoxville. He could wrap it up with a big result here in Champaign as well. And, you know, again, he may not even need it. And it'll go to the second-place finisher, which is why this event is so fascinating because there are a lot of guys with bites at the apple right now. And one of them is his opponent, 20-year-old Martin Dom, a name the nerds will know is Dom's been a highly touted junior throughout the course of his career. The now 20-year-old American, big lefty, again, Every tennis coach's favorite words can't fake his power, his ability to, again, just manufacture free points for himself, dominate on his terms, starting to move so much better, just grow into his frame, everything getting a little more fluid. He's 52-28 and 28 overall in the year, but the big thing for Martin Dom, 28-8 and eight since the start of August. That's a 78% winning percentage. He's won two-thirds of his matches for his year, about 80% of them since the start of August. And since the start of August, he's made his first three challenger-level quarterfinals, including this week in Champaign after wins over Perez and Rosencrantz. Again, indoor hard courts in Champaign. Mickelson, Dom, they got big weapons. I wouldn't expect the longest points. I'm fascinated to hear our dear friend Mike Cation on the call assess the strengths of each player as they progress. That's one to put on your calendar to watch tomorrow, particularly, again, if you're maybe off a little early already for the Thanksgiving holiday. Just you know, watch that one on the Challenger feed. Listen to the dulcet tones of our dear friend Mike Cation. And again, Martin Dom, 20-year-old lefty, big serve, taking on Mickelson with the big weapons. Mickelson's obviously the favorite, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. How could he not be his top 175.2% favorite? First career head-to-head matchup between the two. That's fascinating. Of course, you've got two former All-Americans, Alex Kovacevic, Patrick Kipson, doing battles. Alex Kovacevic, 118 right now, is the former Illini All-American. If he wins the title on home soil, home soil being his former college, of course, in Champaign this week, be up to 108 in the world, so he can't make a top 100 debut, but he could earn himself an Australian Open main draw wild card, which, again, just makes everything easier the rest of the year if you know you're guaranteed a first-round paycheck at least two started. It's a big result for Patrick Kipson as well, by the way. Kipson, I don't want to say he's had a breakout year, but certainly the best year of his career. Kipson right now sitting at a career-high 239 entering the week in reaching these quarterfinals here uh, in Champaign. Kipson now into quarterfinal number seven at the challenger level of his career, has made four of them on U.S. soil since the start of August. Carey, Carey, Charlottesville, now Champaign. Loves the seas. Does Patrick Kipson, again, recently turned 24 years old, guaranteed himself, I believe, with this result, a spot at the very least, in Australian Open qualities. And again, he's semifinal champion. He's still alive in that USDA wildcard challenge as well. As is Ethan Quinn, this year's NCAA men's singles champion. We talked about yesterday. He's got Nino Sertorusic, Mitchell Kruger taking on fourth-seeded Tituan Drogue. Right now, Mickelson's the favorite, 33.6%. Kovacevic right after that, 326 to win the event, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. That's... The headline challenger for me, but of course, Champagne not that far from my house. And if I wasn't fresh off of COVID, I would be there right now. I also want to talk about a couple of other challengers I could not attend, but maybe you can. In uh, Canada going on this week, you've got the Drummondsville Challenger. Drummondville, excuse me, no S there. You look in Drummondville right now, quarterfinals set. It'll be Duckworth, Penniston, 
Tule versus Joe Sosa, Aziz Dugas, former Florida State player versus Michael Verbinski, and right now former college number one Dom Kofer is taking on incoming Tennessee freshman Olaf Pajkowski. If you haven't seen him play, this is your chance to do so. Winner of that going to take on Zizou Bergs. That's what's going on in Drumville. Unfortunately, uh, Liam Draxel, a couple of other guys with college ties, they've seen their run ends recently. Uh, and their runs end of late. But how about the challenger of the week, probably, in Dandrid? Challenger of the week, other than Champagne, Mike. Don't worry, I would never slander you like that. Fascinating set of quarterfinals. Absolutely fascinating. You've got a guy in Jakob Menzik, who, of course, shocked us all earlier this year when the 18-year-old made the third round of the U.S. Open. He's taken on this year's junior Australian Open champ, Alex Block. Block has won 14 consecutive matches going into their quarterfinal battle 14 back-to-back 25k quarter uh back-to-back 25k events now as a qualifier he gets to the quarterfinals here at this challenger again the 18 year old a career high 412 entering the week and enter the top 400 with his result here 37 and 15 overall in the year alex block is a name to know if you haven't watched him play you should and this is your opportunity to do so taking on another talented youngster in Jakob Menzik. That's a match I put on my calendar tomorrow, so I'll have more thoughts on that show. Of course, you've also got a ton of good results. Brandon Nakashima, who needed wins. He's playing challenger events to end the year. He's currently sitting 142 in the live rankings. The young American will take on David Goffin in tomorrow's quarterfinal. It'll be Elbot versus Kaboli, Cressy versus Martyr as well. Come on now. That's the challenger action. If you can't get excited for that, I just don't know what to tell you. That's what we're all about here at Crack Rackets. That's what we'll be watching for on Friday. Again, those challenger action, uh, challenger matches, plus, of course, ATP Tour Finals Day 6. For now, though, we will sign off for today's show. Now, I'm not going to swear because, again, we don't have our super producer, Daniel Westoff, but thank you to him, as always, for all that he does. Hope he drives safely down to Florida. I can report stretch number one of his journey did indeed go successfully uh certainly we look forward to having him back but thank you for all that he does and a thank you of course to our dear friends at tennis point tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world with that said for our fantastic super producer daniel westoff our friends at tennis point from all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you know what we say that's the break and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.